As Oliver said, our readings from the book of 1 John, chapter 2, verses 15 through to 29. I'll give you a moment to flick to it. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Ellie. Well, good evening, everyone. Let me add my welcome to, uh, to that of Oliver. Um, my name's Jono, if I haven't met you, and um, it's also Jono, if I have met you. Never gets old. Thank you. I think I said that one last week, didn't I? Um, but you laughed well. Thanks, Kate. That was good. Um, I'm conscious that uh, some of you must be very tired after a big weekend up at Kick, and um, good on you for being here. Uh, I'm going to pray in a moment, and I'll, I'll pray that uh, God may help us all to, uh, to listen to his word and to take it to heart. So will you pray with me? Father God, we do thank and praise you that you are the God who has spoken to us most perfectly in your Son, the Lord Jesus. We thank you that we have your word, the Bible, and we thank you for this time now to look at it. Please help us, especially those of us who are particularly tired, help us to to concentrate on what your word says, and please work in us by your spirit that we would take it to heart and live by it. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, can I have a show of hands? Um, who would say that they, they are a runner? <clears throat> yep, we've got some very enthusiastic hands. Okay, I'm going to try and broaden it. Who would say that, you know, they, they have been a runner or they've, been, they've run at times, you know, various times in life and maybe, you know, been... Okay, who goes in running races? Some people are going to running races? Yeah, yeah, okay, cool. The um, running actually, interestingly, has grown in popularity in recent decades. It's much more mainstream now to be a runner than it used to be. It used to be kind of, you're a bit weird if you ran. Um, and just to illustrate the shift in attitudes, 
There's a quote from a movie, uh, Back to the Future Part 3, where Doc goes back in time, back to 1885, and he's talking to some people there and in, 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 in some locals in the pub, and he's talking about life in the future where he comes from, life in, well, it's our past, but 1995, I think it was set. Um, here's a little video. Oh, hang on, I've got the um, control here. has got one of these auto watches. Uh, does anybody walk or run anymore? Of course we run, but for recreation, for fun. Run for fun? What the hell kind of fun is that? <laughs> some of you, some of you are feeling very vindicated now. That's, uh, that's, that's your idea. Run for fun? What the hell kind of fun is that? Um, now, when it comes to running, uh, but, but you know, running is, has become more popular. Um, there is, there are different types of running, of course. There's, there's sprinting, there's middle distance, there's long distance. Um, now, many of you would know that I'm, I am a runner, uh, albeit an old one, but a, a runner, and uh, I do run for fun. I'm currently training, actually, for my first proper road marathon later this year, um, God willing. Um, so I guess that that puts me in the the long distance category. Now, with long distance running. The easy part of a long-distance race is what? Is, is starting. I mean, anyone can start a long-distance race, right? The hard thing is finishing, is making it to the end. It takes perseverance, it takes endurance, it takes patience. Along the way, you've got obstacles, uh, other competitors, weather conditions, the terrain. You've got internal obstacles. You've got uh, the psychological challenge, the battle, just to, to keep going when it's tough. Long-distance running can be tough. Now, why am I talking about this? It's not just because, you know, I like running and I like talking about it. Um, living as a Christian in this world has been likened to a long-distance race. In fact, a number of times in the Bible, it draws this link. Let me, let me give you a few of them. Hebrews 12 verse 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the, the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Well, 1 Corinthians 9.24 says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Or Galatians 5.7, You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? Acts 20.24, 20, However, I consider my life not worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. And last one, 2 Timothy 4.7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. So living as a Christian in this world is, well, it's like running a long-distance race. So how do, we, how do we do that well? How do we run well? How do we make sure that we do finish the race? Well, one key thing about um, running a race is understanding the goal, understanding the end point, understanding it has a start and it has a finish and that it's actually going somewhere. You're not just kind of running around in any old direction. You're actually running towards the goal, the destination, the end point. And that goal, that, that end point, that motivates you and helps you to understand the race and shapes how you run. Now, you might be thinking, well, John, I didn't notice anything about running the race in, in, one, in one, um, John 2. It's correct. But I think there are parallels there um, in, in what it does say. And, and the parallel is that there, it's talking about the end point, the goal of the race and continuing, persevering towards that. And so it, it speaks of that end point in uh, verse 17. It says there, the world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. 
Now, this is a key truth for us to understand. The world, its desires are passing away. This world is not an ever-enduring constant. This world is, is coming to an end. In fact, verse 18 describes the time in which we live, notice there, as the last hour. We're living in the, the last hour, we're heading towards the end where the world and its desires will pass away. Now, what does John mean by the world? And it's, he's, he's speaking of the world in, in a bigger way than just speaking of you know, this planet Earth. John uses the phrase the world as, as a significant theme throughout the letter and what the world represents is evil opposition to God. The world is the domain of the evil one. Now, you see that over in chapter 5, verse 19. It says there, 519, we know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Or in uh, chapter 4, verse 4, it says, you, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Uh, in 3, verse 13, it speaks of the world uh, represents hatred of believers. And here in chapter 2, the desires of the world, they're, they're put in, in opposition to the will of God. So verse 16, uh, we, the, it says, the world is characterised by the lust... The next one, sorry, nope, going, going too far. There we are. No, too far, back one. No, I haven't got the slide there. The, uh, the world is, is uh, sorry, 2 verse 8 says, uh, no, 2 verse 16, we'll get there eventually, everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life come not from the Father but from the world. The world is in opposition to God the Father and the world and its desires are, as I said, passing, verse 17. Now that same word passing is used back in verse 8, talking about darkness where it says, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. So as Christians, as we run the race, we need to understand the time in which we're living, in which we're running. We're, we live in the world, this world in, in opposition to God, the world in which there's, there's much darkness and hatred and sin. But this world is, and the darkness in it is passing away. It's coming to an end. It is the last hour. It's like Ben said um, in his excellent sermon a few weeks ago. Ben was saying he's felt very affirmed that I'm using one of his sermon slides tonight. Um, it's, a, it's a great slide. There's a lot going on there, Ben. But um, we are in the last days. We're living in the last days. And, and, and this world and its desires are passing. They're, they're heading towards the last day, the final day of judgment. But because of the life, death and resurrection of Jesus, the, the true light has, has begun to shine. The new age of the kingdom of God, the resurrection age, has begun. And so we live now in this overlap of the ages, an overlap that will continue until Jesus' return. Jesus will return, the, uh, the, the world as we know it will pass away and he will bring the new judgment, sorry, the judgment and usher in the new heavens and the new earth. So we live in this overlap of the ages, the, the last days, or as this passage says, the last hour. So bearing that in mind, how, how should we live in this time as we, as we run the race toward the end? Well, God's word says simply, simply, do not love the world 
or anything in the world. That is, don't, don't fill your heart with love for the things of this world, the, the lust of the, the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, the, the boasting of the, the stuff that we have, of who we are, of what we've done. That stuff doesn't come from God, that comes from the world in opposition to God and the world and its desires, all that stuff is passing away. Friends, the world that, that John speaks of here in 1 John 2, this is, this is our world, the world in which we lived. I mean, our world is obsessed with the lust of, of the flesh, with sex, with sensuality, with satisfying the desires of our flesh however we can. It's obsessed with the lust of the eyes, the, the, the insatiable desire to have more, to have more and more, to the, the desire to possess, to consume it's obsessed with the, the pride of life, boasting about our life, what we have, what we do. This is the world, the, this is our world. And I guess in response to, to God's word, we need to ask, well, is this us? Do we love the world? God's word warns us, it commands us not to love the world. So what is it that, that we love? Do we lust after getting nice stuff and take pride in the nice stuff that we've got? Does that captivate our hearts? Does that captivate our ambitions and desires? Do we love some sinful craving, some harbour, uh, sorry, do we, we harbour some secret lust that we indulge in? God's word says to Christians, do not love the world or anything in the world. Because if you know Christ, well then, you know the Father. Your sins have been forgiven. You have overcome the evil one. Uh, that's what it says in the passage just before us that, that Lachlan uh, shared with us last week. You know the Father. You know God. Your sins have been forgiven. You've overcome the evil one. So don't love the world. Love for the world is incompatible with love for the Father. And those two loves, they lead to two very different outcomes. If you, if you put yourself in the, the world's camp, you're passing away. If you put yourself in God's camp, the one, verse 17, who does the will of God lives forever. So as we're running the race, living as God's people in this last hour, pressing ahead towards that goal, how are we to live where we're not to love the world or anything in the world? As you think about that, you might think, well, what does that, what does that mean in practice? What does that look like? What does it mean to, to, to not love the world? I mean, does that mean we've got to leave the world and live in some sort of monastery or, you know, religious commune or something? And you know, do we need to sort of set up a, a little commune here at the hub and just have nothing to do with the world out there and just have a bit, sort of live in kickland all, all forever, 24-7? That, that's a nightmare, isn't it? <laughs> the youth leaders are about to pass out. <laughs> If we're not to love the world, does that mean we just we, we, we withdraw from the world and have nothing to do with the world? No. No, we live in the world, but our love is not for the world. Our love is for the Father. Our love is for His mission to see people, the people of this world, come to salvation through Jesus. And we live in the world, but we live as, well, as foreigners and strangers in this world, our belonging, our citizenship is not to this world, 
but it's, it's to God and his kingdom, as it says in Philippians. Furthermore, not loving the world doesn't mean that we're, well, we you know, mustn't enjoy life. We mustn't enjoy the good things that God gives us. This isn't a call to be, to be miserable. Uh, 1 Timothy 6, 17 is a great verse. 1 Timothy 6 has so much wisdom, um, for, especially for people who are rich, which is basically everyone here. And it's, it, it uh, speaks there of God richly providing us with everything for our enjoyment. So it's right to enjoy the good gifts that God gives you. It's right, as we live in this world, we're to enjoy the good things that God gives us whilst not worshipping those things or putting our hope in those things. But living in the world and and enjoying God's gifts, that's different to loving the world and the things of this world. The thing to ask is, where is our allegiance? Is it to our, our Heavenly Father to pursue His will, to remain in His ways, to run towards His kingdom? Is that our allegiance or are we, well, are we running off course, pursuing the things of this world in, in opposition to God, pursuing our own pleasure, our affluence, our own self-importance as if we're what matters most? I need to warn you, if you're straying down that path, hear the Word of God which calls us Do not love the world or anything in the world. It warns us of the outcome, the future, that this world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So as we run this race, we need to know that life in this last hour is about loving the Father, not the world and the things of the world. But secondly, notice, we need to know that this last hour is a time of opposition, it's a time in which antichrists come. Who are these antichrists? You might hear that, that word, antichrist, and sort of think, oh, is that some sort of godless, great world ruler that's you know, evil and against God in some sort of end-time way? Well, verse 19 says that they're people who've left the church. They're people who've left the fellowship of God's people. Verse 22 says they're people who deny that Jesus is the Christ. They deny the Father, they deny the Son. So actually these antichrists are people who have, well, they've just, they've drifted from the truth of the gospel as it's been taught from the beginning. They deny that Jesus is the Christ, that he's God come in the flesh, as as chapter 4 verse 2 says. They deny that and they they no longer belong with the fellowship of believers. So they've left, they went out from us, John says in verse 19. Uh, Verse 19 says, uh, they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. Now, what this means is that that actually being part of a church, belonging, is clearly not enough. Uh, There there can be people who, who seemingly belong, but they don't really know or believe the truth. And in time, that that becomes clear as, as it did in the case of John's readers. And, and sadly, I, over the years, I've seen that happen where people seemingly belong, but they don't actually believe and eventually they just drift away from the fellowship of God's people. Relationship with God, knowing God, is more than belonging to a church. It must be based on believing in Christ. This is a warning. Another warning to anyone who thinks, well, I'm okay because, you know, I I belong to a church. 
If you think you're okay because you belong to this church, that you're right with God because of your belonging, well, I've got to say, you're not yet a Christian. I hope you become a Christian, but in fact, it's more likely that you're an anti-Christian. And if you continue in that path, well, you will sooner or later drift from seemingly belonging to the fellowship of Christ's people. You need to believe in Christ. Put your trust in Him. Follow Him. Have your sins forgiven because of Him. This warns us that it's about believing, not just belonging. It also warns us that as Christians, well, we face, we face the threat of false teaching or false influences. Maybe it's teaching that wants to, to move on to bigger and better things. Uh, teaching that moves away from the, the truth of Jesus, maybe that redefines Jesus or redefines sin, redefines judgment, redefines the gospel. Teaching that in the end becomes anti-Christian, denying that Jesus is the Christ. God come in the flesh to atone for our sins. Now, the thing about false teaching is it, it's always subtle. Well, it's usually subtle. It, it, it's, people don't usually stand up and say, I'm a false teacher. I've moved on from the gospel. I mean, if they do say that, it's pretty easy to spot. Um, <clears throat> but it's usually more subtle than that. And that's why we, we need to test what we're being taught. We need to test it against God's word. It's why our habit is to have our Bibles open here at church. You got your Bible open? I hope so. Um, and to be, to be checking what's, what's said against what's in the Bible. It's why we need to read our Bibles. You need to read your Bible so that you know what's right and you can spot it when when something seems a bit off we have the truth we must be people of the word of god and we must stick to the truth now maybe you think on this false teaching thing oh look john you know we, we don't really need to worry about false teaching i mean that happens in other churches that happens in you know other other dodgy churches out there other dodgy denominations you know we're anglicans we're the we're the good guys right well, if you're thinking that, I've got to say, sorry, no. Think again. Many, I mean, it's true, many Anglican churches in Sydney and, and various parts of Australia and throughout parts of the world, they are based on the Bible. The Word of God is, is the priority and, and teaching the Bible, that's, that's what matters. And the, the importance is that we stick to the truth. That's true in, in many Anglican churches. But we mustn't be complacent. And just because a church is Anglican doesn't mean it sticks to the truth i mean the worldwide anglican church at the moment is currently in a crisis because the the uk-based leadership of the worldwide anglican communion has basically departed from the teaching of the bible regarding human sexuality it's no longer upholding the authority of the bible many church leaders are seemingly loving the world and seeking to conform to it to be influenced by it and to be affirmed by it they've let go of the truth as it's been taught uh, currently in, in Rwanda, the, there's a, a big get-together of all the, well, uh, the leaders of Anglican uh, church across the, uh, um, across the world. About 85% of Anglicans are represented there. And they've just passed a vote of no confidence in the, in the, um, the, the, uh, the leadership of the UK-based um, communion. We mustn't be complacent. False teaching is a threat. And we must be people of the Word of God. We have the truth and we must stick with the truth. Which is what John tells his readers. He's writing to them because, well, there are these people amongst them who've gone out from them who are trying to lead them astray, verse 26. 
I'm writing to you these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. And he reminds them, well, he reminds them of what they have. Look there at verse 20. We've got verse 20 there? Yep. It says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. Two things here. The two things go together. Take the second one. All of you know the truth. He then says, verse 21, I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. He says, don't be put off by these false teachers if they say, look, you haven't really got the truth. You need the new improved Jesus, version 2.0. Or maybe they say, you don't need Jesus at all. You actually need, you need Muhammad or Buddha or some new age guru, or, or you need our church. You need our organisation, you need our religion, you need to see things through our culturally endorsed ideology. Now, at this point, we need to be careful of the desire for, for newness and novelty. I think by nature, we love novelty, we love new things, our culture certainly does. Um, I mean, I love new things, you know, give me a new, t- new gadget, new, new toy, a new idea, new experience, there's... Novelty is prized by our culture and I think it's prized in our hearts. We need to be wary of novelty when it comes to Christian truth because we don't need something new. We need to be reminded to stick with the truth as we already know and as we already have it, to not be drawn away from it, which is what John says here. He says, don't be put off. You already have the real thing. I'm not writing to enlighten you. He says, I'm just reminding you of the truth which you already have. And you can spot the truth and you can spot a liar. And so he says, verse 22, who is the liar? It's whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. He says, stick with what you know. And he continues, verse 24, as for you, as for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father And this is what he promised us, eternal life. Remain in what you heard from the beginning. Rest assured, you have the truth. Keep running in it. Now, I said, John says you've got two things. The other thing he says you already have, back at verse 20, he says all of you know the truth. That's the second thing. The other thing is you have an anointing from the Holy One. There. You have an anointing from the Holy One. Now, what's this anointing talking about? Well, down in verse 27, this anointing is, uh, is received from the Father. Um, it's, it's, it remains in you, it says, and it teaches you about all things. Now, while it doesn't explicitly say it here, it's pretty clear this is talking about the Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit. There's a similar passage in John's Gospel where Jesus uh, says to his disciples that uh, the Father, God, will send the Holy Spirit, the, the Advocate, the Counselor. He says in uh, John 14, verse 26, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Uh, likewise, in John 16, 13, it says, uh, But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth into all the truth. He will not speak on his own, he will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. So we see here that the Holy Spirit had a similar role in in teaching and reminding Jesus' first disciples, reminding them of of his word, teaching them his word and and guiding them into 
into all the truth. And here in 1 John, he, he says that as Christians, we all have an anointing, the Holy Spirit, that, who, who teaches us and leads us to know the truth. Which is immensely reassuring. We have God's Spirit, an anointing from God, the Holy, the Holy One. Now, there's a, there's a play on words going on here. You might, you might know, what, anyone know what the word Christ means? Or the word Messiah? They mean the same thing. Sorry? Anointed. That's right, the anointed one. So there's a play on words going on here. John's saying, don't be led astray by these antichrists, these anti-anointeds, because you have the real anointing. You have the real Christ. God's Holy Spirit remains in you and you, verse 27, do not need anyone to teach you. You don't need some new teacher to bring you the new and improved way. You have the truth and you have a teacher from God. So if we believe that Jesus is the Christ, God come in the flesh as the atoning sacrifice for our sins, if our trust is in him, we have God's Holy Spirit teaching us the truth of God's word. What an awesome privilege that is. We have both God's word in black and white and we have God himself, his Holy Spirit, helping us, teaching us, enlightening, enabling us to know and understand and take to heart his word. So to pull this together, we're running the race, the race of the Christian life. We're running in amongst this this God-opposing world with its desires We've got to remember the end point, that the world and its desires is passing, but the one who does the will of God will live forever. And so as God's people, don't love the world and anything in the world, rather love God the Father. Remain in him, remain in the truth that you know. Don't be led astray by some other path and be put off by others who in the end deny Christ. No, remain in him. Remain in the truth that you've heard since the beginning. You have God's word, you have God's spirit to help you, to teach you his word. And as we run, let's pray that we'll stay on course, that we'll not love the world, but love God the Father and that we'll remain in him and the truth of his son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.